Who can stop the Lord Almighty? You know, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God says, my grace is all you need, for my power works best in your weakness. And then Paul said, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Well, my name's David Hardy. I'm executive pastor here, and I confess to you my weakness that I feel inadequate to speak to you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because my life often doesn't measure up to the standard of a life that's fully surrendered to Christ. However, good news for me and good news for you, God has spoken through a donkey before, (laughs) and I believe God still speaks. And he says again to me, my grace is all you need my power works best in your weakness. So in my weakness, I believe God wants to show his power today. So let's talk to him in prayer for a moment. Father, we do thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your grace toward us. Lord, we pray that you would show yourself, show your power. Pray that you would speak to each one of us. Do your work in us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. As most of you know, for the past several months, we have been going through a study called The Life of Jesus, going through this book. Uh, It is a uh, harmony of the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life on earth, presenting the events of his life in the order in which they happened. So why are we studying this? So we would know Jesus. Because we believe when we know Jesus that he transforms our life. And over the last several weeks, uh, several of our other pastors have been uh, sharing uh, about how uh, we can take steps to get to know Jesus better. And also, I look forward to next week when Pastor Perry returns. He's going to continue our focus on the life of Jesus. And today, we begin part four, dealing with the final week leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. So the setting moves from the region around the Sea of Galilee uh, into Jerusalem. And so the area around Jerusalem is where we'll be pretty much for the rest of our study. Uh, So today we're looking at reading 159 in the Life of Jesus book, which is on page 186. And if you're using a Bible, we're in John 12. John chapter 12, starting with verse 20. If you don't have a Bible or if you don't have a Life of Jesus book, uh, you can get either of them in the bookstore. Or if you want to use your smartphone, you can download the Bible app or the Brookwood Church app and you can uh, find uh, the, the outline for today and follow along with the verses uh, in today's message. Or you can use the message guide that's in your program. So I want to ask you, do you want to live today. Do you want to really live? We're going to look at some ways that we can experience the life that God intends for us. So let's look first at John 12, starting in verse 20, reading 159 in your book. John 12, 20, it says, now among those who went up to worship at the festival 
were some Greeks. So to get a little background leading up to where we are, I want to ask, what festival are we talking about, and why is it significant that there are some Greeks there? So the festival that's referred to here is the Passover festival. It's also known as the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And this is a celebration of the time when God freed the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt by bringing some plagues on the Egyptians. Uh, the 10th and final plague that God brought was uh, God said he would kill the firstborn child in every household in the land of Egypt, except the households that had uh, lamb's blood over the doorpost. And so if a home had lamb's blood on the doorpost, according to the instructions that God gave to Moses, then the angel of death would pass over that home and would not harm the firstborn child in that home. Uh, now that Passover festival is called the Festival of Unleavened Bread because unleavened bread is served during Passover because the Israelites were instructed they had to be ready to leave quickly because when those firstborn children died in the homes in the land of Egypt, the Pharaoh sent the children of Israel out immediately. And so God told them, don't put the leaven in the bread because there's no time for the leaven to cause the bread to rise. So Passover week is characterized by lots of holiday meals, lots of celebratory meals, but they eat unleavened bread, which means the bread is flat. Um, and so Passover or the festival of unleavened bread is the festival that's happening during the week of Jesus' crucifixion. And it's significant that there are Greeks there because this is a Jewish holiday. It's not a holiday for Greeks or Gentiles or non-Jews, though they were allowed to come and participate. So that tells me that these Greeks were in Jerusalem because they had some interest in the Jewish faith or they had adopted the Jewish faith. Or if they were like me, they knew there was a party and they were just looking for some good food. So we might also get some insight as to why these Greeks were there if we review what's been happening with Jesus up to this time. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about how in John 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And that was in the town of Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, and then in John 12, verse 1, we see that Jesus comes back to Bethany the place where he uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. And he came uh, six days before the Passover. So this is the weekend before his crucifixion. And he's come to visit and have dinner with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And so this is happening on Friday and Saturday before Jesus' crucifixion. Then the next day, after they had dinner together, uh, in John 12, 12, which I believe to be Sunday, uh, that was Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem where Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and people are waving palm branches and they're hailing him as the king of Israel, believing that he's going to come and free them from Roman rule. And I believe that many of these people uh, likely knew of this, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So this entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem is bigger than any rock star coming into town 
because he's a man who's raised somebody from the dead and he's the future king of Israel. So either later on that same day, either later that Sunday or possibly the next day on Monday, we hear of these Greeks who were in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And then in verse 21, it says, these Greeks came to Philip. It says, so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, sir, we want to see Jesus. Now, the Greeks may not have realized it, but they were taking the first key step toward finding life even toward finding eternal life because number one, life is found through seeking Jesus. Life is found through seeking Jesus. They said, sir, we want to see Jesus. Now, who can you think of when you think of who you wish you could meet? Who comes to mind? Any name come to mind? Somebody you wish you could meet? Some lady in the first service said, John Bon Jovi. But I couldn't help her with that. When I I think of who I wish I could meet, I remember as a child, I was age five or six, I I wished, I even prayed for, I, I have to confess, I wished I could meet Samantha from the TV show Bewitched and Jeannie from the TV show I Dream of Jeannie. That's another confession. It's kind of scary when you think about it, a six-year-old wanting to meet these beautiful women that have supernatural powers. But think about it. If you wanted to meet somebody who could give you life, you're going to look for somebody who has power over death. And so I believe these Greeks had heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So I don't know exactly why the Greeks wanted to see Jesus, I don't know if they wanted to get like a backstage pass um, to this guy who might be the future king or if they wanted Jesus to do a miracle in their life or if they just wanted to have a conversation. Whatever the reason was, these Greeks were looking for somebody who could link them with Jesus. So what is it that causes you to want to get to know Jesus. Why would you want to see Jesus today or know him better? Well, if you're like these Greeks, if you're yearning to see Jesus, you're definitely headed toward finding life. Jesus said in John 17, three, he said, this is eternal life. This is how you find it. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Life comes from knowing God through Jesus Christ. Well, you might say, well, there's there's lots of people living in the world who don't know Jesus. But life is more than just existence. If I'm living with fear, Worry, anger, if I'm living with trying to numb myself from the pain of my circumstances or from hurts from the people around me, that's not life. That's, that's just survival. Life includes 
love, real love. It includes joy. Life includes peace. Life includes characteristics like patience, kindness, and goodness. When I'm experiencing life, I'm expressing gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. These are things, these are characteristics we experience when the Holy Spirit of God renews our mind and begins to give us life. Life as God intended. Now, I realize that many of us are trying to do all we can to make our life better. We think if I can take the right pill or drink the right drink or eat the right foods or do the right exercise or see the right doctor or rub on the right oil, then my life will be better. But life doesn't come from feeling better or living longer. Life comes from knowing Jesus. So these Greeks want to see Jesus. And they're looking for someone who can help link them up with Jesus. So they approach Philip, who's one of Jesus' close followers, one of his disciples. And they ask him, you know, sir, we want to meet Jesus. So I wondered, what was it about Philip in particular that caused these Greeks to ask him to connect them with Jesus? Was it because he was from Bethsaida, which is uh, in the region of Galilee, which is near a, a Greek area, the Greek uh, region of Decapolis? Was it because he likely spoke Greek, being from that area, or because Philip was a Greek name? Or was it because they saw him hanging out with Jesus? We don't know exactly the reason why they chose Philip, but I think there's there's two things that uh, it's pretty safe to say that they saw in Philip. One, I think they saw that Philip was approachable. There was something about Philip that they identified with or something about Philip that made them feel comfortable. And second, they likely asked Philip because they thought he was somebody who was close to Jesus. They wouldn't have asked him if they didn't think he wasn't a close friend of Jesus. So let me ask you, if you wanted to get to know Jesus better, who would you ask? Who do you know that seems approachable, that seems like they're close to Jesus? If you want to get in on some life, if you want to experience life, find someone who is close to Jesus, just like these Greeks were trying to do, and ask them to help you get to know Jesus. So I want us to just stop and ask God now, God, who could help me know Jesus better? And let's see if he puts somebody in our mind. So let's just close our eyes and ask God that question. God, I pray that you would show us who could help me know Jesus better. So my hope is God put somebody in your mind that could help you know Jesus better. If you don't already have somebody, jot that name down just, just to remember. Well, what if God put your name in somebody else's mind today? What if after the service, 
somebody came up to you and said, God put your name in my mind. God put your face in my thoughts as one who could help me know Jesus better. What, what might you say? What might you think? Maybe for a lot of us, we might say, well, well, not me. Don't ask me. I'm not close enough to Jesus to help someone else know him. You, you need to choose somebody else that can really help you. Now, we see that, that Philip was close to Jesus. He had been following him around for, for a few years. But I think even Philip was a little unsure of himself to help somebody else get with Jesus. Unsure about uh, being qualified to connect these guys to Jesus or unsure of what Jesus was gonna say. So these Greeks told Philip they wanted to see Jesus and then in verse 22, it tells us that Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Why didn't Philip just go straight to Jesus? Unless maybe he was a little unsure of what Jesus might say. You'd think that Philip would just take these Greeks straight to Jesus, would seize the opportunity to link somebody up with Jesus. But Philip didn't want to ask Jesus alone. So he went to consult with Andrew, who was also from Bethsaida. So maybe Andrew was his close buddy. And I can see Philip asking Andrew, Andrew, there's these Greeks who want to see Jesus. What do you think Jesus is going to say? You remember that time when Jesus said, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel? You think he doesn't want to see these Greeks? But also, Andrew, remember when we found him talking to that Gentile Samaritan woman at the well? I think he might want to see him, but I don't know how Jesus is going to react. What should I do, Andrew? And I can imagine Andrew saying, I don't know, but let's ask Jesus together. I'll go with you. We all need somebody like an Andrew to help us to go to Jesus, to help us hear what Jesus has to say. So if you know Jesus, could you be someone like Philip that helps someone else get to know Jesus? And if you feel unsure, if you're uncertain, if you are qualified to do that? Is there someone like Andrew that you could ask to help you partner to help somebody else to know Jesus? You don't have to be an expert in the Bible. You don't have to be an expert in prayer. You just need to be with someone when they have a question or challenge or a struggle. You just need to be willing to say, I don't know. Let's ask Jesus together. Jesus, what do you want us to know? So repeat after me. Let's get you trained to help somebody else to get with Jesus. Repeat after me. I don't know. Let's ask Jesus. I'll give you your certificate after we finish. That's what you need to be able to do. I don't know. Let's ask Jesus. And let's ask Jesus what he wants us to know together. We can play a part and helping each other to experience life, not just survival, but a transformed life by helping each other to just go to Jesus, to just ask him what he wants us to know. Who's helping you to know Jesus? Who are you helping to know Jesus? We all need a partner. We all need a buddy, a sidekick 
to help us know Jesus and help us hear from God. And we can help someone else to do that. Now, this is all we see in the Bible about these Greeks. Because once Philip and Andrew ask Jesus, these Greeks want to see you, the next thing is Jesus launches into what he wants to say. And he gives some important stuff. So why is this brief passage about these Greeks included in the Bible? It doesn't seem necessary for introducing what Jesus is about to say. Why is it there? And I think maybe Jesus wants to be sure that everyone knows that his message that he's about to give is not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles also. It's for everyone. That his death that he's about to speak of is for everyone. Because as soon as Jesus hears that some Greeks want to see him, he launches into a summary of what he's been teaching throughout his whole ministry. It's like Jesus doesn't have time to play. Because when the Greeks say they want to see you, or when Philip and Andrew tell him the Greeks want to see you, the next verse says this, talking about Jesus. Verse 23 says, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I'd be saying, well, what about the Greeks, Jesus? What, what's your answer? He just says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus' answer reminds me of when I go into Pastor Perry's study to ask him a question. It's like he knows I'm coming because as soon as I come in, he's got a question to ask me or something to tell me that has nothing to do with what I'm coming to ask him. It's like he already knew I was coming. He's, he's, got, <laughs> he's nodding his head. He's got his mind on something and he wants, to, he wants to share it. He's preparing a message. He doesn't have time to play. Let's get to the important issues. And in this passage, it's like Jesus knew that the Gentiles wanted to talk to him and he had a message to give them. No playing around, no small talk. Let's get to what we have to say. Let's get to the important issues immediately. We don't have time for extra words. The hour has come. Now this is the first time we know of that Jesus speaks of his hour as being present. If you've been following along in the life of Jesus, you know many times he has said, my hour has not yet come. But now and from this point, he says that his hour is imminent. His death is going to coincide with Passover, which is just a few days away. So he says he's about to be glorified, and many people there would think, well, that's his glory is he's going to take over as the king. But Jesus is about to be glorified through his death and resurrection. So he wants to make sure that everybody is clear about his purpose, that everybody is clear about how they can find life because that's why he came so that we may have life. And so from what Jesus says, we learn that number two, life is found through submitting my life to Christ. Life is found through submitting my life to Christ. You find life when you submit your life, when you give up your life. In verse 24 of John 12, Jesus says, I assure you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. 
But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So it says a grain of wheat is just that. It's just one grain of wheat. It's just one seed. But if it is buried and planted and dies, it can multiply into many grains of wheat, into many seeds. And if we live for ourselves, if we live a life that's just focused on me and taking care of me and getting what I can for me, my life really produces nothing. It's just a, one life. And we miss out on real life. But if we give up our life to Christ, if we die to self and say, I'm releasing the control of my life to Jesus, we will have eternal life, which includes real life now. We start eternal life now. Our life changes now, transforms now, and becomes a life that produces, that produces those characteristics we talked about earlier, the love, joy, and peace, but also produces an influence that influences people toward Jesus and produces more life. And then Jesus explains that he's going to be the example of a submitted life by sacrificing his life. In verse 32 of John 12, Jesus says, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to signify what kind of death he was about to die. So Jesus is, is saying he's about to be lifted up, lifted up on a cross to die. And the pathway to life is through the death of Jesus. The pathway to Jesus' resurrection was through his death. The pathway to life for us is through accepting that the death of Jesus is for us. The pathway to life for us is also in our own dying to self. And then when we accept the death of Jesus for us, we find life. And Jesus said in that passage, and if I'm lifted up, if I die, I, I will draw all people to myself. Again, he's noting this isn't just for the Jews. This is all people. His death is for everyone including the Gentiles. Jesus offers us life through his death on the cross. By his death, he satisfies the penalty for everyone's sin. He offers the opportunity for forgiveness and life for anyone, regardless of the sin that's been in our life. And the role we play in finding life is simply giving up the control of our own life to Christ, trusting him enough to trust our life to him. That is where we find life, believing he died for us and trusting our life to him. Jesus even said, as we read a moment ago, that we're to hate our life. Now, he's used this word hate before, and it's not necessarily in the sense that I want to kill myself, uh, but it's hate used in a way to describe strong preference of one thing over another. A few weeks ago, Josh Masters talked about this when 
he uh, taught on Luke 14, 26, where Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So the word hate is used in the Jewish culture to describe giving strong preference to one thing over another. So my love for my life is like hate compared to my love for Jesus. I won't experience real life if preserving my life is my top priority. It's in letting go of the control of my life and in submitting my life to the control of Christ that I find true life. And Jesus tells us in this passage what to do to submit our lives to him. Back in verse 26 of John 12, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So if we want to submit to Christ, it means we, we serve him. But if we want to serve him, he said we must follow him. We must walk closely with him. Only he can give us the strength to serve him. I can't even serve him on my own strength, on my own power. I can't serve him without being close to him, without being where he is. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. The one who stays close to me produces much fruit, produces much life. Because you can do nothing without me. So the key to submitting my life to Christ, the key to serving him is staying close to Jesus. It's in staying close to him, relating with him, that I find the strength to serve him and find out what he wants me to do to serve him. And he says, God will honor those who serve him, who stay close to Jesus. So who do you want to honor you? Is it other people or is it God? Life comes from pleasing God, but, but I have to confess, and I think many of us would say, the temptation is we want to please others. We want, to, we want others to be happy with us, others around us uh, to be pleased with us. Are you trying to preserve your life by trying to live up to others' opinions of you? Could your longing to please others be getting in the way of you finding life? Later in this passage in John 12, it says, in verse 42, it says, nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, because of the religious leaders, they did not confess Christ. So they would not be banned from the synagogue, for they love praise from men more than praise from God. So even some of these rulers who were around listening to Jesus believed in him. They were thinking, we want to put our trust in this Jesus. We think he's authentic. We think he's from God. But they would not truly trust him and confess him publicly because they were scared of what others would say. They were scared of the consequences of what might happen. They were more concerned with what others thought about him, and thus they were missing out on the life that Jesus gives. So whose opinion of you concerns you more? 
I know that I'm more concerned about my wife's opinion of me than your opinion of me. Doesn't mean that I'm scared of her. I'm not scared of you. <laughs> and it doesn't mean I love you, that I don't, it doesn't mean that I don't love you. I just love her more. Because I believe she loves me more than you love me. And the truth is, God loves me even more than my wife loves me. And so I want to value his opinion most because I believe God is the one who can give me real life. And I find life in who he is and what he has to say. So how can I overcome trying to live for the opinions of others and submit my life to God and truly trust his opinion of me, his love for me, that he will take care of me. How can I submit my life to God? Well, one great step is just start asking God, God, what do you want? Just start asking him, God, what do you want? God, what do you want me to know? God, what do you want me to do? Just ask him, God, what do you want? Which leads me to the third way to find life. Life is found through sensing God's voice. Life is found through sensing God's voice. Life comes from God. He wants you to have life. Life is found through sensing what he has to say to us. Jesus said in verses 49 and 50 of John 12, he said, for I've not spoken on my own. The things I'm saying, he said, this, this, this is not just from me. He says, I've not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command as to what I should say and what I should speak. He's saying, God, God's telling me what to say to all of you. And then he says, I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus is so in tune with the Father and he recognizes that in the words of the Father is eternal life, words of life. He said God's command is eternal life. In the words of Jesus, which are the words of God, we find eternal life. Why wouldn't we want to just soak up the words of God? You know, we often try to find life or, or improve our life through lots of different ways. We listen to the TV, the web, the doctor, our friends and family, but none of those can give eternal life or really improve our quality of life. The only place we can hear true words of life is from God. So how can I hear God's words of life? One obvious way, best place to start is by reading God's word, the Bible. The words that we know are from God. John 20 verse 31 is the, I believe the last verse in your book, The Life of Jesus. It says, but these are written, these words, these accounts of the life of Jesus these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing so that you may have life in his name. 
These words are written to help you believe and recognize that Jesus is God and so that you can have a relationship with him and through having a relationship with him that you'll, you'll trust him, you'll believe in him and by believing in him, you will have what? Life. By believing in him, you'll have life. These things are written so you may have life. So let's read them. We can sense God's voice through reading his word. We can also sense God's voice through times of silence, just through being silent. Remember we said just a few moments ago, one step to submitting to Christ is to ask, just ask what he wants. God, what do you want? How are you going to hear his answer? Listen, be silent. Carve out some space to just allow God to put some thoughts in your mind. God, what do you want? What do you want me to know? And let God put the thought in your mind. You need some time to do that, hopefully daily. And it doesn't take long once you get in the practice. Now, I'll say, honestly, I don't think I've ever heard God speak audibly like I'm speaking to you now. But often, as I've asked God a question and been silent, God has put thoughts in my mind, often that are scripture, sometimes not necessarily straight from scripture, but they are thoughts he puts in my mind that I can tell this sounds like God because it sounds like something I've heard from scripture. What he puts in your mind will never contradict what you've read in the the Bible. If a thought comes in your mind, that is contradictory to what you've read in the Bible, then that thought is not from God. And so when that happens, keep asking, keep reading his word, keep listening, and maybe get that partner to help you. If you heard Gene's message a couple of weeks ago, you heard that Jesus was talking to a rich young ruler and that he was looking at him and loving him. They could tell just the way Jesus was looking at him that Jesus loved him. If we were to take a moment to be silent and listen for what Jesus has to say to us, we just might experience the love he has for us. Ephesians 3.19 says, may you experience the love of Christ. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life. Fullness of life comes from experiencing the love of Christ. Then you'll experience, you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So the love of Christ for us obviously is too great, too overwhelming, too big for us to completely understand. But when we begin to get a taste of it, when we have those moments of silence and we sense God loving us, and when we begin to get a regular diet of it, what will happen to us? We will have life as God intended. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. Some translations say the flesh accomplishes nothing. And then he says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. 
The words I have spoken to you are spirit and our life. Do you want to begin to experience life as God intended? You may have adjusted and thought, well, I'm surviving, I'm living, this is all there is. There's more. There is more to this life even on this earth with Christ in your life. Do you want to experience life as God intended for you, a transformed life? Well, then ask God to show you someone who can help you seek Jesus or that you can help to seek Jesus. Submit your life to Christ by asking him what he wants. What do you want, Jesus? And then take time to sense what God is saying to you by reading his word and listening for his voice. Ask God what step he wants you to take today. And let's have the same goal as these Greeks who came to Philip. Sir, we want to see Jesus. That's our goal. We want to see Jesus and experience life. If you want some help with that, we're gonna have care volunteers down front and in the care connection room that can pray with you, that can help you seek Jesus or help you with your next step. I hope you'll take advantage of that. Let's pray together. As we pray, I'd like us to start with a moment of silence and I want you to ask God, God, what do you want me to know? And let's just be silent and see if he puts you a thought in your mind. God, what do you want us to know today? Father, thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for reminding me of your love for me. Father, may our prayer be like that of King David when he prayed in the Psalms. Lord, make me walk along the path of your commands for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Thank you for the life that you give. We want to see Jesus today. Show us our next step with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here.